Good morning. Good to be back in the land of the living. Thank you uh, so much uh, for the prayers. I really do appreciate it. I, uh, after just being in Peru for a few days, I got hammered with some kind of bacterial uh, infection. And then uh, being sick kind of uh, morphed into allergies, very dusty down there. So that's kind of what I'm dealing with now. I made it back just in time for uh, the pollen <laughs> and the snow. And uh, welcome on this wonderful February morning. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 12 as we continue uh, our study through Revelation. I think it's been about three or four weeks, hasn't it, uh, since we've, we've been there. So if you haven't been with us for a few weeks, you haven't missed, well, maybe you have missed something. Uh, I don't want to uh, short-circuit anybody, but uh, you haven't missed anything in Revelation. Uh, we're in chapter 12, and we want to look at 11 verses here this morning. Uh, we it termed uh, this little message, uh, the story of redemption in a nutshell, because it really is. Uh, we see here, in a sense, uh, uh, the, the redemption story uh, on a, th a thumbnail sketch kind of a thing. And uh, you'll see as we read it here, and as we look at chapter 12, uh, just a little reminder that we are about halfway uh, through uh, the tribulation period. Uh, we are somewhere exactly uh, where we don't know, but somewhere in that midpoint of the tribulation. And we see here uh, a number of symbols in this chapter. And I'll read, and please follow along with me. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Uh, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet. And on her head was a garland of 12 stars. Uh, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems uh, on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations uh, with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And so the woman fled uh, into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, uh, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Um, as we know that to be three and a half years. Um, and then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought uh, with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down, 
I think we can all say amen to that. And so they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. And Father, we look to you today. And Lord, we are so thankful that, Lord, you overcame on our behalf. Lord, you overcame the great adversary, the one who deceives the whole world. And because of, Lord, your redemptive work in our lives, Lord, our eyes are open. Lord, we're able to see things. We're able to see the future, in a sense, as we, Lord, have it before us here in the book of Revelation. And Lord, knowing what's coming upon this world, Lord, how we pray that we might live in a way that would be pleasing to you, to live in a way that would glorify you, to live in a way, Lord, that would make an impact in the lives of others. Lord, we see as we look around our world, Lord, so many negative things taking place. Lord, it breaks our heart to see policemen shot down in our streets every week. And Lord, it seems to be that uh, the culture is imploding. Lord, there's a moral meltdown. And I pray that, Lord, as you have called us to represent you, that, Lord, we would be a part of the solution. That, Lord, you've given us your gospel. Lord, we know that therein is the answer. As we point people to you, Lord, as we were singing a moment ago, what a wonderful Savior you are. And you're saving today. Lord, you're saving many lives who will, who will ever, Lord, reach out by faith and recognize that, Lord, very simply, like we all have recognized, that we're sinners. And, Lord, we need a Savior. And, Lord, you are there. So wonderfully. So graciously. Lord, to, to reach down and to lift us up. Lord, to pull us out of our pit. Lord, the mess. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you have, Lord, as the scripture says, you've lifted us out of our pit. You've set us upon a rock. Lord, we're reminded of the scripture that, Lord, you've, you've set us at your banqueting table and your banner over us is love. What an awesome God and Father you are, dear Lord. And we pray, Father, that by your Spirit, that you would give us insight and understanding of these things. Lord, that we could make, Lord, application as we understand, Lord, Bible truth. Lord, help us, we pray. We want to bring you glory and, and be pleasing unto you. And how I pray, Father, you would bless, Lord, your people today. Lord, as we come, as we lift our voices, and as we worship. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Excuse me here while I take a little drink. <clears throat> I probably will have a little cough from time to time. These allergies are, uh, are quite the pip as I get them. and um, They seem to last for about a month or a month and a half. Well, as we look at chapter 12... Uh, we realize that this chapter is very rich uh, here in symbolism. And uh, the only way I think that we can really properly interpret it is through the lens of the Old Testament. Uh, we find here three main characters. 
a woman, a male child, and the great red dragon. And each one of these play a very significant role. So let's identify them as we start out here. Uh, the woman here is mentioned five times out of six, the first six verses. Now, who is she? Well, let's first of all say who she isn't. She isn't the church, and she isn't Mary. Um, is there an amen to that? Um, the, the woman here refers basically to Israel. And, and the, the, the reason that we get the interpretation of that is out of Genesis 37, uh, verse 9. If you were with us in Genesis, uh, if you remember Joseph's dream, remember the dream he had uh, basically uh, that uh, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, which were his brothers, were going to bow down to him. And remember his father said to him, you know, what, what is this? You know, your mother and father, uh, you know, Jacob identified and interpreted the dream very correctly. He says, what is it that your mother and father, the sun and the moon representing the parents, and the 11 stars representing his brothers, are going to bow down to you? And of course, it was a prophetic dream, and it would speak of what was going to take place uh, when he would become the prime minister of Egypt. And, um, and of course, we know that they, uh, his brothers uh, mocked him, uh, rejected him and sold him into slavery um, and in and, and God's wonderful grace and way that he works through all the difficulties and trials of our life uh, and prophetically that dream comes true and they do when they come to Egypt some years later you know bow down to him and so we see here basically uh, this woman is represented by the entire Hebrew or what we would call today perhaps the Jewish family uh, now let's read a couple verses here uh, verses 1, anyway. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stones, uh, stars. Excuse me. Um, she's also too known in Scripture as the wife of Jehovah. We see that in Isaiah. We see that in Jeremiah. We see that also in uh, the book of Hosea. Um, and then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth to, or that is to give birth. And so uh, the child here basically is Christ, and we know that uh, the Bible teaches us very clearly, and we see it worked out in the Bible, that the Savior, the Messiah, will come through the Jewish family. That's why the Lord selected that family. Uh, Abraham was basically an Iraqi. Um, and what separated him, the, the whole idea that God called him a Hebrew, was really more of anything a spiritual kind of thing. It was a spiritual relationship they were to be a spiritual family. They were to represent God, you know, in the world, and that the Messiah of the world would come through that particular uh, stream. Uh, remember Jesus at the well with the woman, uh, and she's a, remember, she's a Samaritan. She's, you know, maybe part Jewish, uh, part Gentile, and they had their own little particular religion. And he reminds her there that basically salvation is, is through the Jews. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we see that being worked out. Uh, and, and again, here, reminding us of these things in a symbolic uh, kind of a way. Uh, so anyway, Joseph's dream was prophetic, not only of him, but it was also of a future time, uh, which is looking forward to this particular time, the end of time, uh, fulfilling all things. Remember that the nation of Israel, as we move more and more uh, through the Bible, we talked about this from the very beginning, uh, Israel is prominent. That's why it's interesting. You can turn oftentimes to any, I was looking at uh, the PBS news this week, um, and they had a news article on there about Israel. And it seems, isn't it interesting that this little nation, not even quite as big as New Jersey, 
uh, is in the forefront of the news. Um, and uh, we, we see that uh, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, uh, the more prominent place they will have. Um, and when it comes down to the day of the Lord, it's basically um, two things that are taking place in a major kind of way is God is dealing with the unbelief of the Gentile nations, uh, putting them in their place, uh, reminding them basically, you know, uh, and bringing judgment because he is Lord and he is God. Um, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, just being, being in Peru, uh, we take so much for granted. Like water, <laughs> clean water. Uh, it was amazing. I was talking to a Peruvian man uh, in the airport, and he was uh, flying back uh, uh, that night, and um, he lived in, I think, Paramus, New Jersey. And uh, he was talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, Americans, for the most part, don't appreciate uh, the fact that they, could, that, that they have jobs, um, that, that we have so much in this nation. And, and, and having grown up in Peru and now living, you know, in the United States, he had a whole, you know, interesting, you know, perspective on it. Because when you go into Peru, it's, ama it's amazing. Uh, you can see so many people, just men, standing on the corner without, a, without any work, without any job. You know, a lot of people complain about their work and about their job. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, we should be thankful we have work. We have something to do. You know, God has wonderfully blessed, you know, this nation in a wonderful way. Now, sign number two we find in verse three. And kind of like, uh, guess who's coming to town in a fiery red dragon outfit? It ain't Santa Claus, okay? Okay. <clears throat> And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, uh, having sen seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on those heads. Now, we get more insight from that when we get over to uh, Revelation 17 and 18. But basically, the seven heads here are seven kingdoms of the past, and the ten horns are ten kings that will basically arise during the end time period, particularly this period here that we're talking about. Excuse me. <clears throat> and so we find here basically the theme of verses 3 and verses 4. Uh, and the great fire, fire, you know, fiery red dragon here is Satan, no doubt. We saw that uh, in the latter verses that we read here this morning. You see, before the cross, you know, Satan had tremendous control over the earth. You can say in a matter of speaking that he basically owned a lot of things. Uh, he controlled things, he controlled people. And even today, after the cross, he fights very hard. He doesn't have the control that he once had because of the cross and what Christ did. But it's an interesting thing when you look over at Luke chapter four in this conversation. Remember when Jesus is being tempted, we find a conversation in Matthew four and in Luke chapter four, we have this conversation between, <coughs> pardon me, between the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus, and the devil. And, and uh, reading verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him up, that is Christ, unto a high mountain, and showing him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So he had that ability, that power, to just show him all these kingdoms and all the, all the power. And here's what he said. The devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. It was a, remember, this was, this was the ultimate temptation, um, you know, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 
And it was sort of, you know, the thing about temptation oftentimes is that it's a shortcut to something that you want. Uh, and, and the devil knows exactly, you know, the carrot, you know, that may appeal to each and every one of us. And, uh, you know, he tries to get us, you know, from that place of trusting the Lord to bring into our life whatever it is God's plan and purpose for our life is. Because sometimes we may want things. We may want maybe success. We may want money. You know, we may want notoriety. These are all the things that appeal to human, you know, ego and so forth. And so as the, the devil here is tempting Jesus, he's reminding him that all these kingdoms belong to him. Look what it says here. I will give you, uh, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and to whomever I wish. And so he had that, he had that, you know, that, that sovereignty to a degree, you know, over the sinful world. Because, you know, when Adam and Eve sold out in the garden, they basically relinquished their authority and turned it over to the devil. And so he's simply reminding, you know, Jesus here, and we see here very, you know, um, clearly that that's why there's problems in the world today. Uh, that's why the Bible reminds us, our, you know, we may have, we may consider people, you know, our adversaries, our enemies, whatever the case may be. But the Bible, you know, reminds us that it's, it's, the, it's the spirit behind them. It's the spirit of this age. It, it's the demonic activity. Uh, it, and, you know, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, he's the prince in the power of the air. That's why so often <laughs> he controls the airwaves. And, uh, and, we, and we know that, uh, you know, because of the cross, uh, that his time is very short. And that's why, in a sense, we find that during this particular time. But isn't it interesting, even now, it just seems like all hell breaks loose? I, I, was, I, was, I was considering the fact that we had three police officers, again, uh, shot down this week. Every week, it seems like. Uh, and, and what it is, really, it, it's a rebellion against not just the authority, civil authority. It's, it's ultimately an, a, a rebellion against God. And it reminded me, the Holy Spirit reminded me, gave me this verse, it was over in Psalm 82, verse 5, that all the foundations of the earth are out of course. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Um, and it's really not a geological issue, it's a moral issue. Remember over, I think it's in uh, Psalm 11, 3, um, that the psalmist asked there, uh, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, one thing we, we, we need to uh, not fret. Psalm, Psalm 37 tells us what? Fret not at evildoers. You know, we can't just wrench our hands and, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to go anywhere because I'm afraid some nutcase, you know, if I'm in some kind of venue or situation, that he's going to get, you know, someone's going to go crazy with a gun. We can't worry about that. We have to trust our Lord. But as we see these things, we realize that there's an implosion. There's a moral meltdown that's taking place. And I think clo the closer we get to this time that the Bible speaks about in Revelation, we're going to see that more and more. Because one of the things that we've talked about is God lifting his hand of blessing and protection. We see it through history. We, th we see that through history when na nations basically thumb their nose at God He's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force, you know, his ways upon people. 
And I'm not talking about us, I'm not talking about the church, but I'm talking about basically the nation in a general kind of way, in a collective way. God does this with nations. When you study nations, there's been times where God has been moving greatly, you know, within that nation. But then that nation got proud and independent and basically turned against God. And so often what it is, it's success. It's success and materialism. And it happens individually, and it also happens corporately. When all of a sudden, you know, uh, there's great success and so forth, and then before you know people are patting themselves on the back, kissing their hand, you know, aren't we wonderful? And we forget about God. We forget that he's the one that has blessed us. You know, he's the one. Every, you know, even the gifts, you know, that each one of us have, the individual gifts and abilities, do you know God gave them to you? He allowed you to go to, you know, to get educated, to cultivate those things, uh, to, you know, to grow in your, your understanding and in your, in your skill and all those sorts of things. That's God's gift to you. And, and we need to remember that. I think we need to, as God's people, continually making survey, uh, you know, of the things that the Lord has done. Because you know what? It keeps you thankful. Remember the great, you know, Romans chapter 1, that, that horrific list that ended up with all kinds of sexual perversion. How did it start out? They were, th- they were not thankful. And, it, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, this world kind of engenders a sense of griping. Now, we wouldn't know anything about that, would we? griping, complaining, I don't have this, I don't have that. You're blessed. You're blessed. God has wonderfully, you know, blessed us. I don't care if you, you know, and think about it. You know, what's the worst situation we live in? I was thinking about Abraham. His whole life he lived in a tent. And he was called the father of the faithful. So richly and and, and wonderfully uh, blessed. Uh, so, what we see here in verse 4 is these are fallen angels uh, that have been led by Satan. That's why uh, he's, he's not uh, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. But he has his agents. He has his minions. Uh, I, I imagine when the Lord created angels, he probably created hundreds of millions. Why not? It's hundreds of millions and billions of people. You know, why couldn't he create, you know, billions of angels? And there was an insurrection one day. There was a rebellion by Lucifer. And we're told that he basically led one-third of the angelic force um, in rebellion against God. And we see, that's what we see at work today in our culture, uh, in our society. Over in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, uh, we get a little bit of a profile there. And we're told there about Satan's fall and his judgment. Uh, Ezekiel 38 is another profile, what, it was, what Lucifer was like before he fell. Uh, but in chapter 14 of Isaiah, I just want to read a couple verses uh, to you. Excuse me. <coughs> Isaiah 14, 12. How you, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer! Son of the morning, how you're cut down to the, gr- the ground who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. That's Zion. That's Israel. That's Jerusalem. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. That's resurrection. I will be like the Most High. I think, I believe this. I haven't always seen it there. But I believe that basically Lucifer wanted to be the Messiah. Because these are all messianic things. These I wills, these things that he wanted. I think he wanted to be the Messiah. In that sense, to be like God, to be God. But God says to him, you shall be brought down to the to shield, the grave, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so as we look at this time frame in, in Revelation, that will not be very, that will be about three and a half years. He has about three and a half years left. Remember, at the end of the tribulation period, he's chained in the Abuso for a thousand years. And um, that will be a glorious, glorious thing. You know, Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Remember, that's when he sent the 70 out. And he was looking, he was looking forward to this particular time. Because at that time, Satan had already fall. He already fell, uh, you know, back in the garden. But basically here, this is looking forward to this particular time. And so the devouring here is basically, if you, if you remember, uh, you know, Satan, is, Satan has intervened throughout history uh, countless different times to sabotage and to destroy the messianic line. Um, that's what Herod was about, and destroying the, 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 the babies in Bethlehem. That's what Pharaoh was about in the book of Exodus to destroy Moses. In any way that he could disrupt the leadership and hopefully to strike, you know, at the heart of the messianic line. You know, we just studied in, in, uh, over in um, uh, Genesis. We just finished it up. We're starting a new book, Ephesians, uh, this Wednesday night. But it's interesting that the messianic line was to come through um, uh, Jacob's uh, wife, Leah. Okay, remember his favorite was Rachel. But Leah ended up being his first wife. And it's interesting because the, the, the first child in that union was to have the messianic privilege. And remember, it was Reuben. And remember, there was an incestuous situation. And then the next two were Simeon and Levi. And their situation was they were cruel and murderous. Remember, they wiped out a whole village. And number four was, guess who? Judah. And it fell, the, the opportunity, the, the, the right, the messianic right. And I believe in all those other cases, it was Satan's intervention. He tried to corrupt the entire kingly line. And, and, and basically, he did. He did. We see that when you get into the prophets. And he's always working to intervene. He works behind the scenes. Uh, he's an invisible, clever agent. Um, we, we, see the, we see his fingerprints in a manner of speaking. We see his activities in the world today. He, he works to, to corrupt. Uh, he's, he's, when you look over the, the history of the church, he tried, to do, he tried to corrupt churches. 
um, reading the story about um, the biography about Martin Luther. And it was amazing the, the step of faith that he had to take as a, as a Catholic monk um, in order to, you know, do what God wanted him to do and start a whole new, uh, you know, a whole new branch, so to speak. And I'm reading it, and the things I never knew about all the craziness that took place uh, in Germany at that particular time that were trying to basically distract. There was, there was a number of other priests that had left the Catholic Church as well, and uh, they were basically, they were set on rebellion, civic rebellion, wanting to tear down the government and kill all the, you know, the, the princes and the lords and so forth and the barons in Germany. And it was this craziness going on. Um, and at times it almost, you know, maligned, you know, what Luther was trying to do. Uh, and, and, and as we look at these things, it, it, sometimes we can look at them just from a naturalistic, you know, kind of viewpoint. But, but let's, you know, let's, let's be sure that our adversary, our enemy, is always, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't punch out. He never wearies, he never tires. He's always working in some way to defeat, to defile, to hinder the program of God. And I think sometimes, you know, even when I talk about it, um, I'm afraid someone's going to accuse me of seeing the devil behind every tree. And you know that's not true. You know that's not true. But, but when we, we see an expose of him like we do uh, in, in the scriptures today, we need to identify and understand that we live in a spiritual realm. We live in, there's an invisible war going on. And that's why we see, even among Christianity, there's a lot of casualties. The enemy's at work. You know, as Christians, because after our kids, tries to drive a wedge in our marriage, tries to divide churches, it, it's, it's almost endless, his efforts. And that's why I think it is so important that by golly, folks, we need to be praying. I was so blessed yesterday. I was so blessed yesterday at men's prayer. We had about 16 guys in there. I'm saying, oh, I looked, looked around. At one point, it just kind of hit me. Wow, we got a lot of guys in here. We need prayer. <laughs> we, we, will not, we will not defeat our adversary. We will not have the sensitivity to understand what's going on. If we do, if we do not pray, so uh, we quickly move uh, with our Lord here, moving into verse five, from his birth to his resurrection to his reign upon the earth. So it moves very quickly. It's like I said, it's sort of a a thumbnail sketch, uh, 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 the story of redemption, very quickly in a nutshell. Uh, so uh, Israel, the woman, she bore a male child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, this is not the first time that we've had references over to Psalm 2. Uh, psalm 2 is the very first messianic psalm that we find, you know, in the scripture. And, uh, and it comes into play here. But when it speaks about a rod of iron, what that refers to is when Jesus Christ sets up his reign at the end of this period, at the end of this age, 
when he sets up his millennial kingdom, uh, that it basically speaks about his reign. His reign will be enforced. You know, there's a scripture over in uh, Ecclesiastes 8, 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. That's what we see going on in our world today. There's never a sentence oftentimes. You know, somebody, somebody commits murder, and then you see the anguished family waiting for years for justice. When it comes to the millennial reign and the reign of Christ, that ain't going to be. That ain't going to be. There's going to be quick justice. And he will deal with those issues uh, with a rod of iron. Now, why is that? Does that maybe seem harsh to somebody? Remember that during that millennial reign of Christ, where's the devil? He's chained in the pit. So nobody can say, like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Remember Geraldine? Flip Wilson show. The devil made me do it. Well, the devil's certainly involved with this, but he doesn't make us do anything, does he? <laughs> he helps us, but he doesn't make us really do anything. Uh, so it, basically, his reign will be enforced. That's why I love Psalm 2. The end of Psalm 2 says, kiss the sun. He speaks to the judges and the kings of the earth. He says, kiss the sun. He's referring to Christ, to the Messiah. That, that's, always the, that's always the answer. Embrace Christ. And then the woman fled in verse 6 into the wilderness. Uh, we, we know that, we believe that to be Petra. Where she, was, where she uh, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her their 1,260 days or three and a half years. Uh, so what we have basically is the Jewish remnant at that point. You know there's going to be another holocaust? It's going to be another holocaust. As Satan's one last ditch attempt to destroy the Jewish nation. Because he figures if he can destroy, that's why, that's what, that's what the pogroms, that's what Holocaust was about. And there was more than just, there was more than one pogrom and there was more than one Holocaust in history. There's been a lot of persecution of Jewish people. And why is that? Satan believes that if he can annihilate the Jewish people, the prophecies cannot be, God's purpose and plan cannot be fulfilled. And that's why he has tried time and time and time again. And this is his final attempt here. And it's a persecution that will come through the Antichrist. Now, verse 7. Now suddenly here, without any prior notice, war breaks out in heaven. An angelic war. What's that going to be like? I mean, what do they throw at one another? Fireballs? What do they have? Lights, you know, lightsabers, you know, cutting off angel arms. I don't know what I don't know what that's like. But I think the greater question is what is the collateral effect upon the earth? Because whatever's taking place in heaven, if there's a war in heaven, you can tell, you can be sure that there's going to be a collateral impact and effect of that upon the earth. We're told war broke out in heaven. And so here is Michael, 
and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. <coughs> Pardon me. Now remember, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we're told there that Michael is the great prince, the angelic uh, archangel uh, that protects Israel. Just like, remember, we're beginning Revelation, there's an angel that protects his church. Praise God. Thank God. But there's a special angel by the name of Michael that's watching over, protecting the Jewish people. And we find him here in this particular scenario fighting against the devil. Speaking of the devil and his angels, they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. And the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. We can't mistake his identity there, can we? He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, the Bible tells us that even though he fell from heaven, he still has a certain amount of access. Remember the book of Job? He goes in the presence of God, and what does he attempt to do? Accuse God's people. And we see that in the book of Job. Attempting to malign Job, and actually God's bragging about Job. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. You see my servant Job, fine, upstanding <laughs> individual. And, and the uh, thing that Satan says, well, you know what? You, gotta, you put a hedge around him. You've blessed him. You take that stuff away, and he will curse you to your face. You, you, just, you touch his flesh. You take away his stuff. And, of course, we know that that, that was not the case. Um, with Job. But you see, there's a day coming when that he will know it and no more have even limited access. And we find it described here uh, in verse 8. And you know, his power to deceive really has no limits. You know, John tells us that, this, that, that the whole world is under the sway or the influence. It doesn't mean everybody's demon-possessed. Don't get extreme. But it does mean that people are influenced to differing degrees. Uh, we may know people in the world are very moral, very, very nice people. But if they don't know the Lord, there's a certain amount of darkness and there's a vulnerability in their life that Satan can take advantage of them and use them in some kind of way. Do you ever know some very nice person who turned on you? You never expected it. Stabbed you in the back. And you're kind of wondering, gosh, after all the things I've done for them. And it's amazing, isn't it, how the, our enemy can influence people? I've even seen him influence Christians, folks. I'm sure you have as well. He's very deceptive, very powerful. I want to read to you a little piece here by Hen Dr. Henry Morris. He says this about this uh, section. He says, Note especially the amazing assertion that he has been the deceiver of the whole world. Educated and ignorant, king and pauper, male and female, Jew and Gentile, strong and weak, young and old, black and white, all are deceived by him. 
all the world's high-sounding philosophies conceived ever so brilliantly by profound thinkers, whether it's pragmatism, idealism, Gnosticism, determinism, hedonism, materialism, transcendentalism, existentialism, deism, or any other of the countless others, regardless of the eminence of the geniuses with whose names they are associated, whether they be Aristotle, Plato, Marx, Mao, Confucius, Buddha, Freud, all these are man-originated, man-centered, man-honoring, rather than God-ordained and God-centered, or God-honoring. They are merely all various, uh, excuse me, merely varieties of humanism, rather than theism, exalting man rather than God, and thus helping to carry out Satan's attempt to dethrone God. And that's why, you know, when someone's in their unbelief, in their unbelieving condition, uh, they're, they're prey. They're, they're, they can be easily influenced by the enemy. And that's why the Bible says, you know, for you and I as believers, we need to use wisdom, you know, as we deal with people in the world. We, we need to be very careful, um, you know, what we say. Um, we, you know, we need to, I think we just need, need to use wisdom uh, in those kind of matters. We need to love people, no doubt about that. Um, but I tell you what, you know, the Bible doesn't say trust people. It says trust the Lord. Now in verse 10, heaven rejoices that the evil one is finally being dealt with. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. You know, his kingdom here is basically about to arrive and, and, and the full power of Christ will be displayed. Folks, we're going to be on the other side watching that. And I'll tell you what, that's going to be pretty impressive. You know, the Lord has let a lot of things go. He's let man sort of have his way. But there is this future time coming that he is going to rescue his people, going to rescue this planet, come and establish his kingdom. And it's going to be a totally different operation than it is right now. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be a glorious day, a glorious moment. You and I are going to be rejoicing and thankful and grateful. There's going to be a lot of people that are not. You know, I was kind of thinking about when Christ returns. The book of Revelation tells us the reactions of men. And I think, too, that, that Satan has been very careful to craft a narrative about extraterrestrial beings. That somehow that when the Lord comes, and we're told in Revelation 19 with the armies of heaven, that somehow it's going to be interpreted that these, this is an alien invasion. Otherwise, why would anybody fight against God? It doesn't make any sense. But again, I think, you know, over these last, you know, 60, 70 years, there's been this narrative crafted about, you know, ex, you know extraterrestrial life out there. And we, we know it's out there. And, um, you know, we sent Hubble out there looking, you know, for 
for planets, you know, that could be um, basically used, you know, as, as an extension, you know, of our world and so forth. And we've got the uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, the SETI, the giant, did you ever see the giant microwaves down in New Mexico? And they're constantly searching, you know, the, the, uh, the you know, space and so forth uh, for some kind of radio signal. Um, so I think that when the Lord does come, you know, there's going to be this reaction that here, okay, we're being invaded from outer space. We need to fight against that. But of course, we know that'll be utter foolishness. Now he says here, for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And again, Satan has used this access for time and time again to accuse the child of God. And that's why I think it's important also too for you and I, we have to be careful that we don't provide him additional material that he can accuse us. I mean, he accused Job, and basically Job didn't do anything. I think I'm going to shake his hand when I get to heaven. He was one righteous dude. I mean, he makes me look bad. <laughs> it's pretty good when God's bragging on you. But we need to make sure that we don't give, you know, our adversary any material to accuse us with and to lay, you know, a guilt trip on us. You know, the fact of the matter is that so often he accuses, he condemns, he beats us up. Um, after one of the services in the church at Peru there, there was a time of uh, waiting on the Lord and worship. And I was sitting down um, all three of the pastors we had, we had shared a, just a very uh, short message, each one of us. And so I was just worshiping with, <coughs> excuse me, with my eyes closed, and this young couple comes up to me, and uh, he says to me, and um, kind of like almost like a broken English, would, would you pray for us? And so I started praying, and uh, his young wife was with him, and I've never had this happen to this degree that she started just howling and, uh, and weeping and wailing um, and praying at the same time. And so I just kept praying, you know, uh, for them because I, 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 don't, I, did, I had no idea uh, what was going on there. And so uh, as far as I was concerned, everybody else was speaking in tongues because uh, <laughs> um, I don't understand Spanish. And uh, so anyway, we, we, we prayed for a good long while there till she kind of settled down. But afterwards, I found out uh, from, from Pastor Brian that uh, she had come out of a Christian group that was rather controlling and cultic. And they had laid such a tr condemnation on her that, you know, like if you leave our group, you know, God is going to punish you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? If you leave our group, God is going to smite you. You know, God, you know, you, 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 everything's going to fall apart for you. And so this poor girl is dealing with, you know, all this, you know, condemnation. And you know what? That's the devil. 
That, that's the devil to accuse people, you know, to, to lay a trip on them. Uh, especially uh, Satan loves to lay a trip on you and me about the Lord. Because, you know, men can be harsh. But in God's dealing with you and me, he's gracious. He died for us. He loves us. <laughs> Want to be an overcomer? Here's the overcoming principle in verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, this is great news. This is the only way that anyone in all of time is going to defeat our great adversary, the devil. Folks, he's smarter than you and me. He's more powerful than you and me. He controls kingdoms, brilliant, intelligent people. There's only one way that we can defeat him, and that's because basically we need to put our full trust. When he talks about the blood of the Lamb, is we need to put our full trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And it's a faith thing. We need to put our trust in what he accomplished for each one of us. Again, when you talk about the blood of the Lamb, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for his sacrificial death on the cross for whosoever would believe. And secondly, he says, <clears throat> they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Let me tell you, folks, you want to, you maybe you're getting beat up and discouraged. You need to share your faith. We need to share our testimony. Matt Kowalski was telling me yesterday, um, they were down on Clinton Avenue in the city on Thursday. And he said, it was just one of those days where the Lord parted the Red Sea. And everybody was stopped, and everybody was asking, can I have one of those tracks? And, and Matt, didn't you even pull over? Didn't the, didn't the fire truck even pull over? <laughs> They were going to meet the real fireman, you. <laughs> Pardon me. You know what? I, I believe... I was going to say, don't answer it. <laughs> See, here's the thing. God has put special individuals uh, in your path. And you know what they need to hear? Your unique story. You have a unique story. If Christ has come into your life, sometimes we think, well, my testimony's not important. I, I was sharing part of my testimony in, in the Sunday service. Uh, the last Sunday I was there in Peru. And, and afterwards, Brian, the pastor, said, you know, people really need to hear that. I just take it for granted because this is part of my testimony of coming from a very fractured family and dysfunctional family and, and all of that. I've, I've known it. I lived it. But to see the grace of God, you know, at work in those situations, you have a unique testimony. And, and God wants to use 
your life and your story to impact, you know, individuals around you. Be careful that you just don't become, as a Christian, a dead sea. See, fresh water goes into the Dead Sea, nothing comes out. Remember Jesus said, don't hide your light. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. In other words, don't hide it under your job. And don't hide it under your bed. Don't hide it under your domestic family duties. But let your light so shine before men and glorify your Father in heaven. And third thing here he says, we overcome him, and they did not live, or excuse me, love their lives to the death. You know what we need to do, folks? And this is something I think we need to continually do. You know what? You need to put your life on the altar. You need to keep turning over your life to him. Because sometimes, you know, we get on the altar of sacrifice. We're up there, and we crawl off. Sometimes you make a, an act of consecration and then you start rethinking it. Did you ever just give something away? Really valuable? And you knew it was the Lord who directed you to do it? Then the week after you're thinking, what did I do? What did I do? What got into me? The Holy Spirit got into you. We need to lay and put our lives basically on the altar because you know what the Bible says? We're not our own. We're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Folks, this is how we overcome. As we close here, if one of those particular areas or issues speaks to your life, maybe really need some boldness to share your testimony. Maybe you're not sure if your life is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Or maybe if you're just holding on to something and the Lord's saying, hey, let go. You need to offer your life to me afresh. I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you as we close. Okay. Father, we look to you this morning. Lord, we thank you. You said that in this world we will have tribulation. But in you, Lord, we will have peace. And to be of good cheer, for you said, I have overcome the world. And quite honestly, Lord, every one of us, including myself, we have struggled with these issues. Sometimes, Lord, we go back and forth. Sometimes, Lord, we have fear and timidity. Other times, Lord, we may have boldness. Lord, there are times where we make our acts of consecration. And then, Lord, we kind of rethink it, take it back. Lord, we look to you this morning. And, Lord, for anyone this morning, Father, that they're standing to open up their heart by faith and put their trust in you, Lord, we, we are here. 
every one of us, Lord, we're needy. And you can supply that need to us today. And we come by faith, Lord. We don't come on any righteousness of our own. We come and we stand at the foot of the cross. And we're so grateful, Lord, for what you've done for us. And how I pray, Father, for each and every one of your dear people here this morning. Lord, touch their life. Fill their heart. Lord, encourage them, I pray. Lord, we think about the things that we're up against in our society and in our culture. And it's only by your grace and by your power. Lord, by your spirit, can we ever make a difference for Jesus Christ? So, Lord, I pray, fill us afresh, Lord. Lord, cleanse our hearts from any wrong motive and be glorified. Be glorified, Father, we pray. Lord, in your church. And Lord, we pray it for your honor and in your name. Amen. Amen.